Good morning, everyone. We're going to start the final session. Um, I'm, I'm Tom Fisher, and I'm chairman of the uh, Philosophical Society. And Marianne's asked me to chair this final question and answer session so she can participate, participate properly in the, in the answers. But before we get stuck into the question and answer session, uh, I want to just do a short plug for the Philosophical Society. It's a society of people who come regularly to these events. Um, there's a, a very small membership fee of £12 a year, but for that £12 you get a number of benefits, including £5 of each, uh, each of these weekends that you come to. The, op the opportunity to join in our discussion forum at the uh, Philosophical Society website um, a, you, you get the opportunity to contribute to our annual uh, review, our annual philosophical review that we produce. Uh, you get access to the recordings library that um, uh, Bill uh, keeps. Bill, where are you? All right. Bill back there uh, is our um, keeps recordings of all the all the uh, talks that we have. Um, and that's available to members of the society. There's also a, uh, there's also a website with, 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 with a lively discussion forum and a Friday evening group as well that meets in Oxford uh, once a month. So there's a lot of really good benefits uh, for joining the society. And uh, the, next, the next one of these weekends is on the 22nd and 23rd of May, um, when we're discussing the philosophy of Hilary Putnam. I think there are still places available on that course um, for those Putnam who... Putnam is a fascinating philosopher, by the mm. way. You, you may not have heard of him, but he's yeah. very, very interesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, I'll just point out, when you book one of these things online, there doesn't seem to be any facility in claiming a member's discount. Uh, right. Ah. Right. Okay. We'll have to take that up. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for. Yeah. 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 I I was left with uh, Marianne's belief in God, but I don't know the type of God that you believe in. What? Well, hang on. I'm just going <laughs> to. We're we're going to start the question and answer session in in, in a minute. Sorry. Could you uh, Yes, indeed. And one of, the, one of the other things is that there's an annual um, prize called the Chadwick Prize, which is available, is open to any member of the society who's not a professional philosopher and anybody who's attended courses in Ruley House. Um, and that is a, an, an essay prize which can be on any um, philosophical subject. I think the closing date is the 1st of July. 1st of July, um, and the full details of the, the rules for entry and the prize and all that stuff is also on the website, uh, which is oxfordphilsop.org. Right. Now, if anybody uh, is interested in joining the society who isn't a member, uh, do see me afterwards during, when, when we finish this session during the lunch break. Okay. Thank you very much. Is that the uh, not, not, not .org. It's not .com at the end, is it? Not .com, no, just .org. Yeah. Right, so. Yeah. Okay. That's the PhilSOP's website, which is fantastic, I think. Um, that's oh, my it's email. <laughs> no, it's Oxford. Sorry, it's Oxford. Oxford PhilSOP.org. <laughs>
hole in wood. Yeah. <laughs> no spaces. You heard that, didn't you? Okay, that's my email address, and Stevens is. Oh, it's a nightmare, my one. Um. What's that? I can't, sorry, I can't hear you. I don't know, actually, are they? No, I don't know, not sure. Well, that's another thing to email mm -hmm. me about. Yeah, yeah. We'll make sure there are yeah. from now on. Website as well. Okay, that's that. S F. Uh, sorry, C F I U K dot org. Marianne thinks that sounds rude. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, is this about the Oxford Phil <laughs> song? No, no, no. Okay, I'll so. Does uh, anybody want to ask anything now about the Oxford Phil song? Otherwise, I'm going to move on to the question and answer session. Okay. So, sorry, just no. This is. Has anybody got anything to do with the Oxford Phil sock? You have, yeah. Uh, I'm registered partially sighted. I can't see you from here at all. <coughs> and I don't use a computer. And I can't really use a computer to, to join the society. Yeah. What do I do? Uh, you don't need to join online. I've got, a, I've got a, an application form here. Oh, so see me, see, do see me afterwards, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to move on. <laughs> right, is it ju I'm just taking... This is just about the Philsock at the moment, and I'd, I'd really like to get on to the question and answer session, okay? So what I'm, now, what I'm now going to do is ask the two speakers... Just carry on. The two speakers... <laughs> first, first Marianne... First Marianne and then Stephen to give just a couple of minutes resume of their two talks, uh, so that to, to to refresh our memories of the main points that they've been making, and then we'll move on to question and answer session. Now, some of you who have been here to, to lots of these, uh, when Marianne has chaired these sessions, uh, she has sort of taken down uh, notes of people who want to speak while while these summaries are going on. I am not doing that, okay? So you can be thinking of your questions while Marianne and Stephen are talking, and then I'll, uh, I'll just, uh, just stick your hand up and I'll deal with the questions then, okay? So that's the format, and so to start with, I'm going to ask Marianne if you'd like to, in a, just in a minute or two, tell, you, tell us the main points you wanted to emphasize. Okay, well, what I did is I set out um, Dawkins' argument that there is something that's... There's a horrible screaming, isn't there, here somewhere? It might be my, my hearing aid. Is it your hearing aid? Might be, yeah. Ah. That's my that's Does that mean that that one's okay? It probably does mean that's yeah. okay. Is there anything we can do about that? No. No. Well, I'll try. But I need to be able to hear people. Yes, okay, fair enough. Um, okay, I set out Dawkins' argument, logic book style, <laughs> and I showed that it was deductively valid. And if you have a deductively valid argument, the conclusion of which you'd like to question... 
uh, that means that you must question at least one or other of the premises. Um, and I looked at the first premise, that the God hypothesis is a scientific hypothesis, and I said that although it could be questioned, um, I would accept it, albeit strengthened in the way I strengthened it. So I said that uh, it needs more than Dawkins' condition, it also needs to be testable by observation and experiment. But I accepted it. Um, so my focus was on the second premise, which was um, that... Uh, science will eventually show that the God hypothesis is either respectable or redundant. I mean, as Dawkins puts it, God will be shown to be redundant, but I said that, that there are two ways you could understand that. One is science will show uh, any God postulating theory to be scientifically respectable, to it be able to do all its explanatory work without God, or it'll show the theory to be redundant. In other words, it isn't needed at all. Um, and then I then looked at each of those claims and I said that there are good inductive reasons for saying that uh, science won't show that folk psychology is um, respectable because both philosophers have been trying since Descartes <laughs> to show that the mind is the body uh, and have failed and are, are in fact coming round very much to the idea that the mind isn't the body or the brain, of course, is what we mean there. Um, and that when scientists have claimed success in this, um, and I use only one example of that, and of course I realise that you can't make a general claim on the basis of one example, but I just wanted to show how these things can look successful when in fact they're not, and I appealed to Libet's uh, claim about intentions and decisions. And then I finally looked at the idea, well, okay, if we can't make folk psychology respectable, can we make it redundant? So I looked at the views of the eliminativists who say that um, actually because beliefs, desires, intentions and so on can't be made respectable, we must eliminate them. And I looked at the ramifications of, of believing that folk psychology would be eliminated in the end. And I said they were unacceptable. Um, I realise that's an inconclusive argument. I said science may one day show that eliminativism is true, but only philosophy could show it was false. So is it a scientific hypothesis coming back to it? Well, yes and no. That's my lot. Thank you very much. Stephen? Um, <clears throat> uh, what did I say? <laughs> uh, uh, I said... Well, I, I, I picked out some. I picked out something from the God delusion that I liked. Um, I, I like um, the way in which uh, Dawkins shoots down a certain kind of immunising strategy, if you like, that's commonly employed by theists um, when they are presented with. Um, arguments, particularly empirically based or scientific arguments against what they believe, which is to kind of play the noma card, um, religious belief, um, uh, concerns what lies behind a kind of veil, and science isn't qualified, isn't well placed to assess the beliefs that are beyond this veil. Its, its proper domain is the natural realm, and what lies in the supernatural realm, well, that's, that's hands-off so far as science is concerned. Um, I think Dawkins is right, really, to reject uh, and criticise that kind of strategy 
and I pointed out that it's, it, it, it's, it's employed by, for example, Alistair McGrath quite regularly. Um, um, it, so I, I think God hypotheses are potentially empirically, scientifically refutable. It depends how refutable, depends on the hypothesis, of course. There are many God hypotheses we might consider. The more you add to the God hypothesis, um, the more properties you give your God, um, often that makes it rather more uh, em empirically and scientifically accessible. If you say very, very little about God, if you just say there's a cosmic something, I refuse to say anything more about it than that, well, that's quite hard to refute. <laughs> but uh, if you say, oh, there's a person and he's good and he designed the universe and he's an intelligent, well, suddenly there's a lot more meat there and we can, we can begin to assess it. Um, Dawkins' central argument... Um, is not the argument that I find Marianne <laughs> presenting. I didn't find that argument in, in The God Delusion. The one I found was based, in, um, was based on the idea that the organisational complexity of God must be at least as great as that of his creation, and if brute organised complexity is highly implausible, then God must be highly implausible. It's as simple as that. Very simple, straightforward argument for the implausibility the, uh, of the God hypothesis. Um, God must be highly improbable. And we looked at some interesting concerns about that argument raised by um, Alvin Plantinga, who's, who's a smart cookie, and you know they, they're, they're good, interesting points. Whether or not they're true, I, I left you to make up your own minds about, but you know, they're interesting. Um, and then in the last session, I looked at um, an alternative argument against the existence of God, which personally I think is much better uh, than the one Dawkins uh, uses, because it's, it's just very straightforward, and it works. Uh, there's just way, way too much uh, bad stuff <laughs> in the universe for this to be the creation of an all-powerful, all-good being. Um, people try and explain that evidence away in all sorts of ways, um, but those explanations are feeble and unconvincing. And, and the way in which I tried to show that that's true is by means of an analogy. I pointed out that you can use exactly the same kind of strategies to defend belief in an evil god, uh, and who believes that? Well, practically nobody. We all know it's downright unreasonable. So I really presented a challenge really to theists. If you think that there is uh, a good God and you think that's not an unreasonable thing to believe, the onus is very much on you to explain why that belief is significantly more reasonable than believing in an evil God. Um, I personally cannot see how that challenge can be met, which is why I consider both hypotheses pretty, pretty unreasonable. <clears throat> Thank you very much, Somebody Dean. Somebody might like to ask me to respond to that challenge at some yeah. point. Yeah, okay. Who, who has a question then? <laughs> All right, uh, Bill. Uh, okay, the question from Marianne. Um, in your references to folk psychology, you refer to it as being God postulated. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not clear how you show it's God postulated. <laughs> I don't see the connection. Okay, what, what I say is that if you, uh, it's an underlying assumption of using folk psychology that you use the principle of charity just as it's an underlying uh, assumption of science that nature is uniform. But when you look at the principle of charity, so the principle of the uniformity of nature underlies all claims about causes whereas the principle of charity underlies all claims about reasons, acting for reasons, forming beliefs on the basis of reason, and so on. And I believe that 
science can't explain reasons, that, that reasons are invisible to science in, in this way as the principle of charity. Therefore, I look for another explanation. And there are only two explanations that I know when you get to this fundamental level. One of them is cause, the other is reason, i.e. intention. So God, I believe, intended to create in his, some things in his own image. He wanted to do so, he intended to do so, he did do so. If you ask me how he did it, I don't know. But then nor do I know how A causes B. I may know that there's something else, something's causing A underneath that, but I don't know what causation is, and neither does any scientist around. Sorry? You've invoked that there are intentions and reasons, mm-hmm. um, and we know that because we have those. Mm-hmm. Why do you need God to, to explain those? We know well, all I can do. say in response to that is to repeat what I've just said. Okay. Well, um, I think the question is why do you need charity in this construct? Ah, okay. Well, um, in order. I mean, all the reasons I've been saying, if, if I'm trying to understand you to attribute beliefs and intentions and desires and so on, um, I'm only going to do that successfully if I rely on the assumption that you're rational, that most of the things that you believe are true, um, that on the whole you like good things rather than bad things, and so on. So my assumption is you, if you do something that I think is silly, wicked... Or, or seems to rely on a false belief, I need to say, well, hang on, is, is this, is this, what's your name? It just makes it easier. Nicola. Is Nicola stupid? Or, or is it that I've just misunderstood Nicola? Nicola, why did you do what you just did? Um, and, I, and that's the principle of charity. I think from a survival perspective, it makes sense not to be antagonistic. From a survival perspective... It makes sense to seek to appease and understand before you get heavy. Unless you're a king with an army behind you, in which case you might do it differently. But from a straightforward genetic success perspective, it helps if you can read and communicate and avoid unnecessary conflict. So I have a I, well, I think it's rather different. And I've never heard the term mm. FP before, I have to say. Uh, but I, I see this fitting quite naturally into evolutionary theory. I, well, we can talk about evolutionary theory in a minute. Mm. Uh, um, let's let's I mean, move on a second. Uh, Stephen, do you, do you want to respond at all to what Marianne said or to that question? Um. <laughs> um, you don't have to. Well, um, I, I think before I can respond, I just need to get a little bit clearer about, um, about the argument, really. Um, <coughs> Well, we should, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think people, people, other people want to ask you those kind of questions, so maybe we should just let them. Oh, okay. Um, who, I'm just going to follow through on this theme then, and who, so I'll take questions just about this God postulating idea in the folk psychology. It's, it's your well, question, sir. I'm, I'm in an enormous quandary. We're talking about God that you uh, maintain that you uh, feel exists. And I have no idea what this God is. Yeah, have, have we got? I, I just want to take questions about folk psychology in particular, just at the moment. They're so, okay, then go ahead. Then, all right. Uh, okay, are you asking me? <laughs> no. Okay. I'm the only one at the table that said that God exists. Mm. 
Okay, we, we don't know on. what Tom thinks. No, okay, no, okay. I, for the purposes of these lectures, the God I believe in is the God of the God hypothesis. Um, and I can't remember how that went, but it was something like... Um, intelligent creator. Intelligent creator, da-da-da-da. I can't read it. Can yes. you find that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I mean, we put the God hypothesis yeah. up there, and, and that was the God whose existence we've been discussing. And if you want my personal beliefs, they're slightly different, but, but as we aren't talking about those, but about the God hypothesis, let's just leave it there. Well, no, because the God hypothesis wasn't talking, didn't mention the good God, did it? Uh, hold on. There is a superhuman, supernatural intelligence that deliberately designed and created the universe and everything in it, including us. My personal belief is that God is good, but, but, and, and I would love to respond to the God of effort argument at some point. Yeah. Perhaps okay. somebody... Yeah, do you want to say more? No? Right. <laughs> okay, another question then. Is that lady down in front? Uh, just before I came, a deeply Christian friend said, hopefully, perhaps you will meet, find God... And I just wondered, uh, are we allowed to ask whether anybody has changed their stance has anyone changed their stance? Mm. Put your hand up if you have. I mean, actually, or the, the better. Yes, we, there is a better I mean, you question. Could, you could. I mean, we could ask: Have you simply moved from yes. "I don't believe" to "I do believe," which is, I, I suspect, a, a huge. <laughs> no one's done that, but some, some people may now be having doubts, whereas previously they were very confident. Say that there in is no God, direction. or yeah, in either direction. So, if there has been some shift. In your, in your thinking, the extent to which you think that, that, that a certain belief, God belief is reasonable, then that, that would be significant. If nobody mm. puts their hands should up, we, we're should just, we just gonna... We'll just take a straw poll <laughs> on, that, yes. time. <laughs> on that question. So the yeah. question is, has anybody moved their position up, up the scale or yes. down the scale that Stephen was describing earlier during this? Has, has anybody changed their, their position, position on the scale? Yeah. Oh, this gentleman has. What, what I wanted to say was that uh, I, <laughs> I brought in the devil, whereas. Ah, right. Yeah. Whereas you kept on saying about the evil God. Yes. I thought the absence of the image of the devil was perhaps where one might. Uh, I completely agree with that. Mm. Oh, good. I, I, I mean, could I have a could <laughs> yeah. I have a go well, at the God, it, God of F? Go, go on. Yeah. Right, I'm going to have to use the board here. Um, because um, so the result of that straw poll was nobody. Yeah, yes. and we've just wasted our. Two days. I could be writing another chapter of my book. <laughs> okay, Stephen, I'll answer another question. Whilst if has anyone got uh, a question? Should we take me? take another question, you sir? What you are aiming at here is an increase in understanding. Whether yeah. That leads, whether that mm. leads to a change yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah. 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 Uh, right, that lady there in the white. Well, I'd just like to say I came here with a set conviction, and I've just had it reinforced. <coughs> uh, okay. I came as an atheist, and I'm more of an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You've shifted on the scale a bit, then. Yeah. 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 Um. Do you have a... um 
I think that we'd all like to believe in truth and justice and all this kind of thing. What I'm worried about is it appears that the only way that they can be uh, have any reality is if, if, if you have to drag in a god as well. And that's what I don't want to do. I, I, I don't see that we have to have a god to uh, give us all the right, wrong, truth, justice, and the things we'd all like to believe. Mm. Okay. Okay. Right, we're, while Marianne's still writing, are there any more questions? Uh, that chap there? Yep. Uh, yep, you, sir, in the bed. Yep. I'd like to make a few general points. I, I come as a, a scientist, and so I'm quite uh, um, interested in the way philosophers think, which is actually more different to the way scientists think than I think both philosophers and scientists realise. I think Dawkins has. has as a scientist, has moved into the uh, territory of philosophers, and I think has made some elementary mistakes. And I think when scientists, those the, the limits, example, um, for example, um, it's well known and well established scientifically, neurologically, that the brain has a mechanism for synchronizing perception so that if you see somebody touch your toe, your eyes realize that that's happened long before the thing comes up from your leg. And your perception is that it's simultaneous, at least there are built-in time delays. Yeah. And so, for example, that thing about whether you decide to wiggle your fingers, the decision is the thing that takes place first, yeah. half a second before. The the, the brain still obeys the laws of physics, so in order to generate the perception, it takes some time. It's not even a very fast computer. Yeah. Um, so it's perfectly um, yeah. astonishing. And that doesn't address any question about free will at all. Yeah. Okay. So was that just a point you wanted to make? or? or? Yes, and there's I mean, lots of other things, like yeah. the uniformity of nature is yeah. used empirically anymore. Okay. It's not used empirically, but it underlies every empirical claim. You give me an yeah. empirical claim that it doesn't <coughs> underlie. Quantum mechanics doesn't rely on it anymore. Um, okay. Well, actually, the reason quantum mechanics is a, is a mystery to us is precisely because it doesn't seem to obey the uh, principle of the uniformity of nature, which is why it's a profound mystery to us. Um, but it but it seems to work. I agree. Yeah, but we we don't understand how it works, which is which is actually more to the point, because understanding for us of the physical world comes with the principle of the uniformity of nature. Do you want to do your stuff on board then? Sorry, I'm yep. I'm being told to do my stuff. Yep, yep, so let's yep. do my. Okay, uh, this is my response to to Stephen's. Um, analogy between the god of F, he used to call it, actually you've stopped calling it that, haven't you? The evil god. The evil god, he used to call it the god of F. Mm. Well, uh, it was because um, in, the, in an early version um, of the argument, I, I actually wrote it as a, like, a little play set on a planet called F, where they believe in an evil god, oh, that's right. and they have this conversation which mirrors the conversation that we have. Um, and of course, we look at them and we think they're bonkers. <laughs> um, well, we call it the evil god, then. then we all know. Yes, I did. I never called it the god of death. But that's what it is, the same thing. 
What does that mean? <laughs> Getting a hand. Something about the microphone. Oh, okay. The light. Oh, the light. To us humans, evil simply means the opposite of what we understand to be the right thing. In another planet, I'm sorry, we can't put the lights on. Oh, it's all right, I'll read it out anyway. Okay, let, let's, let's go. Um, Stephen started his argument by saying that people uh, seem to think that God's good, but they never give any reason for, for why God is good. Well, actually, that's, that's not true. I, I certainly give a reason for why I think God's good. But I completely acknowledge Stephen's sim- the symmetry of the two arguments. And here we've got them. Here's my reason. Why do we think God is good? Question mark should be on the end of that, which I've left out, but never mind. Um, answer, he created life, the universe, and everything, and it is good. Okay, therefore, God is good. That's my argument for the existence of a good God. I completely, uh, no, hang on, I completely understand that there is a entirely symmetrical argument that goes, why do we think God is evil? Answer, he created life, the universe, and everything, and it is bad. Therefore, God is bad. That's, that's the evil God argument. Now, there's an objection to each of those arguments, and again, we're maintaining the symmetry here. The objection to my argument is, hang on a second, life, the universe, and everything is not good. There's far too much suffering, there's far too much evil, etc., etc. Um, but on the other side, there's the objection to this one is, hang on a second, life, the universe, and everything is not bad. There's... there's how do you put it? Love something and rainbows. Um, ice cream. Love ice cream and rainbows. There we are. Um, therefore, so the, the arguments are entirely symmetrical. So, first thing is, it isn't the case that we don't have an argument for its being good. The argument is exactly the same as the argument for the evil God. Now, I actually, I'm quite happy with this. I don't think this is unreasonable. I think if you really do believe that life, the universe, and everything is not good, then, then I think you should believe in the evil God for exactly the same reasons that I believe in the good God. Um, I, and actually, I believe in Satan as much as I believe in God. And I, I even have a name for this chap here. Um, so I don't think this is unreasonable at all, but I happen to think that that's false. Whereas I think that's true. So I think they're both although, <laughs> Well, you think they're both nonsense, but I, I don't. I, I think they're both good. But I, I accept your symmetry argument, but I disagree with your claim that the evil God hypothesis is an unreasonable hypothesis, because I think it's every bit as reasonable as this one. Well, um, but I do think it has a false premise in it, because I disbelieve that. I, think, I agree there's a lot of suffering in the world, but I think there are ways of getting over it. But, but instead, <laughs> notice that the answer to both these objections is again the same. And you looked at three arguments against this. You looked at free will, um, character building, and mystery. And actually, I think there are a couple of others. Oh, there's um, loads of them. Mm. Yeah. Oh, OK. You, yeah. you I mean, in that. the paper, I go through possibly a dozen, and I acknowledge that there are... You know, countless more. There are many variants and so mm. on. So I, I could give you lots more theodicies. Um, um, and interestingly, there are some exceptions. There are one or two theodicies you can't flip, I think. Um, I think the, that um, the kind of Augustinian fall type theodicy, actually, it's very difficult to turn that round and produce 
in anything like a, a mirror or reverse theodicy. It just doesn't work as a narrative. Mm. Um, so I, I don't want to claim, but, but on the other hand, of course, that's one of the weakest theodicies, so, you know, who cares? Um, so I don't, I don't claim that every theodicy can be flipped. Um, I'm just claiming that there is a broad symmetry in terms of reasonableness between the two. Okay. Well, I think there's yeah. more than a broad mm. one. I think there's almost an exact symmetry. And, and the question whether you... Mm. Um, I mean, you might reject both as mm. reasonable, which, which is fair enough. You might reject yeah. both of them. That would be mine. But you <laughs> might also reject... Uh, this premise in each case, you might think that, that life, the universe, and everything is not basically good. You might think it's basically bad. And, and whether you believe... Or neither. Or, well, yeah. That's the most likely, isn't it? It's if, not, if you it's accept not this argument, you're going to believe in a good <coughs> God. If you accept this argument, you're going to believe in a bad <laughs> God. Neither of them. They're both crap. Or you might think both are crap. Can I take questions? <laughs> can I take questions, please, just on this argument for the moment? Can yeah, I talk chap- about Satan, yeah. though? I want to... Yeah. I'll chap in the blue jumper, let, let him okay, go and then right, come back. Okay. Yeah, chap. I just wanted to say two things to, um, can't be to defend Stephen. I didn't <laughs> think that he said, I'm not being me to defend him, but I didn't, I didn't think that he said that there was no such, argument, no such straight, <coughs> quite frankly, argument as you put forward. What he said is that the, the belief that there is some first cause necessary being is not going to any grounds for believing that to the world, which is a completely different argument. The other, the other point I wanted to make, which is coming back a little bit, and it may be that people's minds didn't change hardly at all, and I say this with some reservation, because I think you were arguing about two different things. You were arguing about you know, the straightforward, intelligent, well, it's not straightforward, you were arguing about the intelligent creator, designer God, and Stephen was primarily moving that on, developing, arguing about whether there was a good God. And so yeah. the reason hmm. why I think people's minds may not have changed, because quite frankly, I don't think there was a genuine debate yeah. about the very... <coughs> we didn't define what God we were talking about. Well, we did. We, well, just defined, we, did. we looked at a number of different <laughs> God hypotheses. The God hypothesis, you, I don't think you talked about the sort of first cause God. We were each was debating something. with Dawkins rather than with each other yeah. in this case. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, the, yeah. I wanted to, I, I mean, I wanted to, what I, what I suppose I was doing was pointing out that Dawkins' argument, I don't find that persuasive. I'm not sure about it. But hey, that's not a problem because there are some much better arguments um, against the existence of uh, of the Judeo-Christian God, the good, the God that most. Um, but where would you as an atheist stand on the first? Call? I've got other arguments. Um, I've got arguments against uh, the the Dawkins-type God hypothesis too. Um, I mean, I would happily provide some if you want. But um, I think that when it, when if you actually look at what people believe, generally they believe in the good God. Marianne says she does. She believes in the good God hypothesis. Um, the only reason that Dawkins doesn't add goodness is that he doesn't need to add it for the purposes of his argument. So why would he bother to add it? But the fact is that you can justifiably add it because that is what most people who believe in God believe, that he has that property. And if God has that property, well, then they're in really, really big trouble with the evidential problem of evil. 
But I, I can run. I, I kept saying, you know, my argument is not an argument against <coughs> the thin notion of God on which he is merely some intelligence and we remain neutral on the moral properties. Um, I'm not running an argument against that, but I've got them, if you want them. Uh, no, let's take the chap over there in the corner. Yeah. You, you sir. Your main argument yesterday against the original God hypothesis. <coughs> yeah, it wasn't mine, it was Plantinga. Plantinga. Mm. I never know how to pronounce his name. Um, no, I don't. I keep changing how I pronounce it, just to cover mm. all the bases. <laughs> My suggestion, you said, was if God designs the universe, all its complexity must be represented in God's mind. Um, but oh, I see, yeah. We didn't really discuss that, and it sounds to me a bit like anthropomorphism. Um, I just wonder whether you. The idea that the oh, I see. must be represented and represented. Like a... Well, who's doing the anthropomorphizing would be my question. Uh, <laughs> th- they say, oh, he's a designer, and he, so he, you know, he, he designed it, and he had something in mind, and he created it. And so so they are buying into the idea that there is an intelligence, an agent, a person with beliefs and desires who brings about the creation in accordance with his beliefs and desires. And then when I start pointing out that there are some problems there, they say, oh, no, you're anthropomorphizing. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, hang yeah. on, hang on a second. <laughs> no, let's, you say they. Um, I actually believe that. So, so hang on, start again. <laughs> I was responding to the charge that I was anthropomorphizing. You know, I'm the one guilty of anthropomorphizing. When I, so if you could explain, I don't understand. I'm seeking to understand how it is that you assert this well, you didn't assert it, did you? I mean, you were asserting no, it on I, behalf. Of well, I said on behalf of Dawkins. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I don't particularly have to want to endorse that argument, but I just put it forward as one that Dawkins could use to prop up his position. I think it is prima facie plausible, actually. I mean, how could there be representations that are less complicated than that which they represent? Uh, now, you may say, uh, now, you may say, well, that he's God, he's different. But as a, as a creator, uh, if, if there's a being who's a creator, then you wouldn't need to build a model. Like we need to be, build a model to understand <laughs> But he has to be able to think and have ideas I, and thoughts. I mean, I actually do believe that. I believe that God created us intentionally in his own image, i.e. as a rational thinking beings. Um, so I, I'm guilty of believing that God has representations, if you like. And I think that, that Stephen's objection to me is that, therefore, I'm postulating a complex being... Um, well, that's Dawkins. That was, and, and Dawkins would object to that by saying, "How could um, a complex of being have come into existence before the simplicity from which all the current complexity grew?" Um, I think he doesn't. He kind of signs up to the he, principle that brute organised complexity just is, is improbable, yeah. highly improbable. It's, there is organised complexity, but it's not brute. In the universe, we can account for it by appealing to natural selection Evolution. and so on. Yes, but he agrees that yeah, if it was simply brute organised, that would be highly improbable. And then he simply points out that then God—that's just the—that's just brute uh, complexity. Um, there's no further explanation or accounting for it, and so that makes God improbable. Uh, that I take it is, is his his argument. In a nutshell. Well, the argument goes. And, I, and I, I'm not necessarily even endorsing it. Yeah. Uh, I was just explaining it. He thinks we do have an explanation for complexity. That explanation is evolution, 
God couldn't have evolved because he's supposed to have started it all, and yet he is already complex, therefore he can't exist, or it, it's impossible that he yeah. exists. Yeah. Can, can I take any, any more questions on this complexity argument? Is yours, uh, yeah. sir, there yeah. on the complexity? You'll never have suggested that there are two gods, the God and Satan, the bad God and the good yes. God. Uh, is it possible that there are some in between, some mediocre gods? We don't need no, you, a pie Occam's razor at that point. We only need two, one at each end. Wait, no, no, what? Two gods? No, Malachian. Actually, we only need good and evil. Well, then, then they're not all powerful. You can't have two all powerful gods. <laughs> no, that's true. principles of parsimony, uh, entities should not be multiplied without necessity, mm. and to have more than one god, uh, we're getting one? into a, a com- an unnecessarily complex area. I don't think either of us are introducing more than one god. I think when Marianne introduces Satan, she doesn't intend to introduce no. a second all-powerful well, god. Well, people with supernatural powers. Yes. Yeah. Marianne is doing that. Yeah. And, and I got a reply, which I to that. I've got a response to the the, the Satan move, which is. Um, do you want to explain your Satan move a bit more? I think no, you know. I, I, I believe in the existence of evil, as I believe in the existence of good, um, and I think you need an explanation for evil. Uh, I'm quite happy to believe in Satan. Um, he did it on the same grounds that I believe in God. Does Satan have the same powers? Uh, I, I, there are lots of things I don't, lots of questions I can't answer in this area. I'm sometimes very inclined to think that he does actually, but then I hit logical problems in that. that uh, but actually, I don't. My God is not all powerful, um, so I, I, this is where. I, if you're asking me to argue from my own perspective, as opposed to from the perspective of the God hypothesis, my God isn't all powerful. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you believe, which Marianne doesn't, it turns out, but if you believe in an all-powerful um, God... There can only be one. There can only be one. Uh, you can't have two all-powerful beings. <laughs> um, because each would restrict the, the, the power of the other one. So. Um, and it, so, but no one claims that Satan is all-powerful. Um, he's not a God. Um, he is just a very naughty angel. <laughs> um, and the thing about... Um, Satan is that his power compared to that of, of God is, of course, uh, inf- infinitely small. Is as of nothing whatsoever. God can easily prevent Satan doing whatever Satan is doing uh, with no effort whatsoever. It's an infinitely less fair contest than, say, Mike T- Tyson versus the Man in the Mr. Muscle adverts. <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's just a no. No contest, this, this battle between good and evil, between God and Satan. Yeah. So, so the question then is, if, you know, if God sees uh, Satan torturing us with a red-hot poker and he sits there back and does nothing, how then can he be supremely benevolent? How can he be the God that we're supposed to believe in if we're, if we're Christians or Jews or yeah. Muslims? I'll take uh, Mike right at the back and then after Mike, uh, the chap there. Yeah, Mike? Um, chap I'm sorry, I can't hear you, Mike. Can can't hear. Um, Marianne mentioned God as the origin of um, rationality in human beings, but added a rider, I don't know how he did it. 
the problem for me is that uh, right now, we've only got half a thesis. Um, people talk about God as the designer. Um, what about God as the implementer of those designs? And so we have this thesis that we've got an immaterial entity outside space and time that somehow intervenes in the material universe. And that seems to be inconceivable. Well, again, I have a problem here because I don't believe that God intervenes in the material universe. Um, I d- by, by creating rationality, you would have to. Um, No, I don't, I don't think that's true too. But, but let me go back to my claim that I don't understand how he did it. That's not half an explanation, at least so long as... Um, if, if we accept that, then you've also got to accept that it's only half an explanation when you find that A causes B. Because it, unless you can tell me what causation is, then the knowledge that A causes B is only half an explanation. And you can't tell me what causation is any more than I can tell you what intentional action is. Um, There's an entire symmetry, again, between the failure of of the explanation on each side to be complete. Can I say something about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I have. It, it's, look, it's very. It's, we are naturally drawn to the idea that supernatural, invisible agents are at work in the world. Um, many, many of you rationally reject it, but there is. We have. It seems we are kind of predisposed yes. to that view. And there's a there's a psychologist called Justin Barrett, working in the, at the University of Oxford, who's got you know empirical evidence that that's true. And it it certainly fits with our understanding of how we evolved. If we evolved. Um, in an environment in which there are, say, predators, um, we need to be very sensitive to predators, which are other agents. And in order to understand agents and what they're going to do, you need to attribute beliefs and desires to them and think of them as intentional beings. So we have this explanatory system, folk psychology, which we apply. Um, You can't apply it to bricks and tables and chairs, but you can apply it to other agents. And so we... We need to be sensitive to the presence of other agents in our, in our environment if we're to survive. Um, we, it, it's actually in our interest to be massively oversensitive. Uh, because if you over-detect, you'll still escape that one tiger. You know, 99 tigers that are not there, hey, it doesn't matter that you thought there was one there, particularly, um, given that you do um, escape the one that really is there. So yeah. being overly sensitive is actually a good thing. So we have this, this tendency to be overly sensitive to agency. We see it when it isn't there. We, and, and, of course, when we look and we can't find it, we go, oh, it must be invisible. <laughs> it's supernatural. It's not in the natural realm. And so the, there is the beginnings here of an explanation of why it is that we see agency where there actually, in truth, is none. And, of course, it's also explanatorily very useful. If you see the planets moving around in a peculiar way in the sky and you don't understand why that's happening, you can say... I can't explain it causally. I'll flip over to intentionality. There must be somebody up there doing it. Or there are gods up there. Or if you can't explain why the plants are growing, you know, it's puzzling. I can't explain it causally or naturalistically. There must be invisible agents doing it, sprites and fairies, natural disasters. I can't explain why these diseases are occurring or why that volcano exploded. There must be witches and demons at work in the world. Now, as science, of course, progresses, and naturalistic explanations do become available for these phenomena, 
So the gaps into which you can slot your invisible agents get smaller and smaller and smaller. But those gaps will always be there. Right. Because... And, and, and Marianne's going to want to slot her invisible agent <laughs> in. But here's, here's the problem with, with... There is a problem with Marianne's invisible agent, uh, a problem that affects Marianne's invisible agent that doesn't affect all of these other invisible agents, actually. And it is this, that Marianne's invisible agent exists outside of space and time. The thing about agency is that it's... Suppose I said to you, I want you to consider a hypothesis... There's a, there's a mountain, but it exists outside the space and time. <laughs> you would rightly scratch your heads and think, you know, what is he on about? And in fact, were you to think about it a bit more, you would realise that what I was saying didn't even make sense because the very concept of a mountain is the concept of something, a, a spatial arrangement of, of parts. The summit has got to be higher than the valley. The sides have got to be steep and so on. If, if, you, if, if you strip away the spatial framework, you can't apply the concept anymore. Now, the concept of agency is the concept of beings that have beliefs and desires. These are temporal states. They have duration, right? They're temporal and states, yes. They, 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 you need time in order for beliefs and desires, in order for you to apply those concepts. Also, creation is an action. I mean, agents perform actions. You need a temporal framework within which an action can be performed. Now, if we are then thinking about an agent... I mean, oh, this is fine for witches and demons and, and, and fairies and so on. You've got the spatio-temporal framework. But once you step outside of the spatio-temporal universe and, st- and insist on still talking about in agents, it's difficult to see how that can make any more sense than talking about non-spatial mountains. And, of course, at this point, people say, oh, well, it's just an analogy. Well, at that point, I, you, know, you could say that about the non-spatial mountain. I want the analogy spelt out. And, of course, they can't spell it out. We just get waffle at that point. Thank you very much. Marianne, do you want to come back Yeah, um, uh, there were a lot of points in, in what yeah, you just said. Sorry, I, I got to just, just, just one of them. Yeah. I completely agree that um, apparently anthropologists can tell us there has never been a human group anywhere who don't come up with some sort of idea of a supernatural god. But there are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not quite true. Well, no, there, there are lots of people in our community. When you were a child, you probably, possibly did believe in God, not definitely, but possibly. The fact is, as a group, we have also come up with this idea of a supernatural God, and we argue about him, whether he exists or not. So we still have can this I, can idea. Can I just say one thing? No. no, no, no let Marianne do a bit. Oh, not true. Right. So, no, 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 let, let Marianne finish. China. China. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they have the idea of a supernatural god, but they have decided not to believe in him, which is exactly what we're doing. No, they never had it. They had the idea of invisible supernatural beings, but they they don't have that idea. They don't have it. Confucianism does not... Okay, look, (laughs) I was agreeing with you there. Okay. Um, But look, this is the sort of thing that I'm going to say. Okay, let's say that in the beginning, 2,000 years ago... Um, we. <laughs> Sorry, I was going that much. Uh, we used reason explanations for everything, just as Stephen says. We didn't understand it, so we reached for our intentional explanation. So, why did the mountain explode? This is a good one, isn't it? Uh, answer because it was angry. Okay, it, it, why was it angry? Because we did something to give it reason to be angry, we, we upset it. 
what, what should we do now? We should do something to give it reason not to be angry. We should sacrifice a virgin or whatever. Okay, so nearly all our explanations were reason explanations because we didn't understand. We didn't know the causal explanation. As science has progressed, this has turned round. So let me give you just a little example that would be very much grist to Dawkins' mill. Um, a woodlouse. Some of you uh, have heard me do this before. A woodlouse, you think, well, why does it end up under rocks and things like that? You might think, well, it likes the damp, and it believes that it's damp under rocks, and therefore it intends to get under rocks whenever it can, or under bits of wood, or wherever it's damp. When you know that instead a woodlouse embodies a mechanism called a taxis, which means that uh, when it's dry, when the air around the woodlouse is dry, it moves and it moves in whatever direction it happens to be pointed, uh, and it moves at a speed determined by how dry the air is. So if it's very dry, it moves quite fast, and if it's not very dry, it starts to slow down. And as it gets damper and damper, it slows down until it stops. That's why woodlouse are find, found under rocks and things. Now, once you know that, you don't, and once you know that all woodlouse behaviour can be explained in that way, or in that sort of way, the idea that woodlice have beliefs and desires just disappear. They don't, they don't do anything for reasons. Woodlice are not rational. They fit entirely in the causal explanation bracket. And science is finding explanations for things like this all the time. And most of your behaviour is also entirely explicable without any appeal to beliefs and desires and intentions and so on. So although we often use the belief, desire, intention explanation for your behaviour, we use it quite wrongly. Okay? Now what the eliminativists think is that this category is going to be removed, that science is going to find explanations for all these things that makes no appeal whatsoever to beliefs, desires, intentions, reason, etc. Um, and I've argued against that. I think that um, there are very, very few behaviours that are reason-driven. In fact, I think the only behaviours that are reason-driven are moral decisions. Actually, I think it's only when we exercise our free will in pursuit of good, or indeed evil, that we exercise reason. So I think there are very, very much fewer reason explanations, true reason explanations than we think there are, but that there are some is the basis of everything I'm claiming this weekend. Thank you very much. And a chap there. Yeah. If I can refer to the question of complexity and simplicity, uh, couldn't we postulate uh, a complex God who created um, a system which was simple in its initial conditions, but uh, complex in its, uh, perhaps even infinite, in its potential. And uh, doesn't that uh, perhaps uh, dispose of this representational problem? Well, no, because he, well, he must have still had a representation of what he wanted to have created it. That, that was the problem there. And that is itself complex, is the thought. Hmm. Um, Steve, you want? No, no, that's good. That's yeah. a good point. Okay, thank you. Um, I, I'd like to take up this uh, uh, psychology argument because I, I, I'm in computers and mathematics, and 
which is a, a very good analogy to some of the things that happen. These are, these are in, quote unquote, intelligent devices. And in computers, at the lowest level, you know, almost at the circuit level, uh, you have a very, very primitive uh, instruction set, a limited uh, uh, instruction set being executed. But what you actually have at the problem-solving level are high-level language. And the high-level language basically has very sophisticated constructs. Like you could say, sort matrix X. It's in a, it's in a set of things that, 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 that the language defines that could be done. And if some Martian came along, or somebody, a psychologist who didn't understand how computers work, they could come and say, well, how could you connect the, the, fact, the sort, which is a very complex uh, uh, a philosophical idea, to what's happening at these very primitive pseudo-instructions down just above the electronics? And it would be very, very difficult to actually construct this theory of mind for, for the computer. And, and without a doubt, these elements, beliefs and uh, values and things like that, uh, are are structures, constructs that, that, that exist in the thinking processes in our brain and, and at the lower level we have, we have basically these very low level signals that we hardly know anything about at this point in time because cognitive science is very, very new. But, but it is perfectly explainable in future by understanding the things that say in computers you have, you have uh, subsystem software that actually interprets between the high-level concepts and the machine code itself. And I think that basically that, that folk psychology will be found and will be found to be true. And maybe the definitions of those folk terms will change, but I cannot see that, that in, the, in the device that we understand that, that it precludes our understanding of the human brain. It's just going to take about 20 years and some very bright people and your arguments, Marianne, will be just blown out of the water. Yeah. Do you want to say anything? Well, that wasn't a question. It was a statement. A statement but I, yeah. I will respond to it. Um, you're, bringing, you're bringing the first objection, which is that folk psychology will be made respectable. Uh, some subset of it. Um, and, but you're thinking we may change some of the definitions of these things. Well, um, I believe, and I've given my argument, so I don't need to go, give it again. You disagree with my argument, and that, of course, is your privilege. Um, I disagree with you. I, I've spent many, many years looking at this. I've read the, the papers of many, many people who've tried to do this. I think that you will be redefining these terms, but have you heard of Jerry Fodor? Um, Jerry Fodor, is, he's a philosopher um, who is a philosopher of cognitive science, uh, psychology, and he um, has already redefined belief to mean, in effect, neural state. And I think that his redefinition is in there at the beginning, and I think rubbish in, rubbish out. That's I, what's going to happen. I would say the beliefs basically are... Sort of, if I was doing it in a computer, I could write a computer program to handle police. There would be many, there would be many hypotheses that are being weighed uh, at, at, in, in, in a high level. I could create high level terms with parameters. So, okay, but but what it comes down to is that you disagree with what I'm saying, and that empiric empirically. One of us will be, sh well, you may be shown to be right by science, and you say within 20 years 
That's great. If that's true, probability that I'm the wrong. Intermi the, the, the intermediate uh, technology as it were of the human brain will be understood. It's an infant science at the moment, and I, I cannot see how anybody, it's God of the gaps. Again, it's just the old okay. thing that we always hear. That, that you, well, we can't do it now, therefore, God must be. Yeah. Thank you. Do you Can want I? to just come back, Steve? Yeah, briefly, well, this, is, this is, yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> uh, This is technical stuff. Um, um, the, the, those who are eliminativists, like uh, Paul Churchland, say that when, when you want to explain what's going on with human beings, currently we use belief, desire type, folk psychology, and it kind of works roughly. It's fairly good. Um, but eventually we'll understand the, 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 the kind of neural stuff that's going on and then we will be able to explain things um, far more fully and properly and we'll have a really fully developed theory then. And, and the, the way this is where the, the eliminativism comes in, you will find nothing like beliefs or desires, those concepts appearing in your new science. You won't be able to map them on. You won't be able to reduce belief to a certain type of, uh, of, of neurological state, sorry. And oh. that, and that, it seems to me that that actually that might be true, but it doesn't follow from that that um, beliefs are somehow non-physical. I mean, it's true of, of every computational state that it's going to be. You know, every computational event is a physical event, but there's no particular kind of physical event, type, you know, type of physical event with with which any type of computational event is type identical because they're multiply realizable. That's the point about. Computational events, so you will never be able to reduce the vocabulary uh, that you have up here to the vocabulary that you have down here. Um, but, but that's not. It. But you can explain it exactly. So and account for it, giving a purely naturalistic explanation. So the, so the fact that you can't reduce doesn't mean that uh, we're dealing with any kind of supernatural stuff. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to move on. I'll take the the lady uh, back there. Yep. Yeah. Um, this is a question for I don't think animals have beliefs, desires, intentions, and so on. Um, but, but I think that um, nearly all our behaviour is explicable without appeal to beliefs and desires. In other words, I think that many of our belief-desire explanations are actually false, uh, belief-desire explanations of each other. I just don't think they all are. But I think that many of the behavioural mechanisms that, that drive the behaviour of animals are also behavioural mechanisms that drive our behaviour. For example, we are, we 
uh, can be classical, classically conditioned just as animals can. We can be instrumentally conditioned just as animals can, habituated, sensitised, etc. Um, but I think that we have, there is something we have that animals don't have, and what that thing is, is reason. Okay. Now, we're, we're going to be running out of time shortly, so I'm going to ask people to ask short questions, and I'm going to ask the speakers to make short answers. Um, did, did you want to have your question? Um, okay. I understand philosophical and religious questions to be questions like what's good, um, what's justice, how does knowledge arise, what is the ground of reason, what is love, what's being, what's the relation between being and knowledge. Things like that. For me, these are philosophical and religious questions, questions addressed by philosophy and religious traditions. What Dawkins and we have entertained are logical arguments and propositions about the empirical world and its falsifiability. Now, of course, science explains a lot about organized complexity, and I'm happy to defer to that. Um, but, and I'm also very allergic to the sort of crass, literalistic Christianity of the type that seriously adopts the God hypothesis as the answer to empirical questions. Uh, the sort of people targeted by Dawkins. But little medieval theology, never mind other religious traditions and myths about knowing and being, are concerned with this. And yet I find their answers to these questions quite enlightening. So what I'm not happy with is to close these questions and stop studying them in the way that both Dawkins and literalistic Christians are asking me to. Theology is much richer um, than logical arguments from the empirical world, and science doesn't touch that. So okay. my question is, what role, I'm sorry, but I have to say okay. what role do you see for such philosophy and theology in a world where science, thankfully, keeps on covering further law-like empirical regularities? Blimey. Right, thank you. Um, I think science... Philosophy, science will go on doing science and philosophy will go on thinking about science doing science. Um, so as science does science, it's going to continue to use concepts of causation and things like that and philosophers are going to continue thinking, well, what is causation, etc. Yeah. Um, well, Dawkins doesn't thing. sign up to scientism. Um, uh, he doesn't think that science will... Uh, he's not committed to the view that science can answer our moral questions. So he, he, he thinks moral questions are important. So, of course, so I, I just don't recognise that what you're saying is an accurate characterisation of Dawkins' position. Yeah. OK. Uh, the lady there. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I was kind of going back to earlier. I, didn't, I think someone raised the idea um, about how morality doesn't really need a God and don't really think you address that. And so I was just wondering if either of you um, think that God is responsible for evil, either in causing it or allowing it to happen, and even if he does, does that necessarily indicate that he's an evil being just because he allows evil? <coughs> uh, well, it means he's not all good. <laughs> it's good evidence that he's not all good. Not, not that he's all evil. He's uh, irresponsible. Well, if he has the power to... Well, you know, if you're in charge of a nursery and somebody's, you know, you know the kids are falling over the electric fire <laughs> that you've carelessly left unguarded and so no, on, and you just stand back and let it all happen... You are responsible, right? You'd be prosecuted, wouldn't you? You would be held responsible. So, but uh, I, the analogy is pretty obvious. <laughs> um, Marianne? <clears throat> Sorry, I missed that. So, the, that it was Marianne, but then why does um, morality, I don't understand really what you think morality is, but giving it to us? Um, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that part of the question. Can, can I. Can I respond to the, the yeah. earlier part? Um, okay. The question of whether God is responsible for evil, um, 
I think no, and the reason I think no is because, and this is where I use, of course, the free will response, um, he is not responsible for the evil we do. I think um, we are co-creationists. We help to create the evil in this world. We help to create the world. And one of the things we do is allow evil to happen. Um, for example, the tsunami that happened how many years ago now that it was, if that had happened in, around Hawaii it wouldn't have caused half the suffering it caused because in Hawaii, we've paid for and set up an early warning system. We haven't done that in uh, Indonesia, or I think now we have, but we hadn't before. Um, that's our so why, fault. Why didn't God do it in Hawaii? <laughs> because that's our task. <laughs> why didn't God do it in Hawaii? Yeah. It's not that the tsunami is our fault, it's that the lack of the warning system was our fault because we knew how to do it and we hadn't done it. So now no, we've there done was it. No, warning system was okay. no, no I, so I agree. But that provided the stimulus for our, our that yeah. provided the stimulus for us to produce an early warning system and save more. Children. Okay, you've had your <laughs> shout, sir. I'm gonna ask that chap. Uh, gentlemen there, you sir, and then you. Uh, me? You, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I agree very much with what you had to say. Um, I feel what you had to say. Uh, that um, we keep on um, throwing human characteristics at the God image, and perhaps the best way to actually approach God is to say what God is not. God, first of all, is not man, God's not woman, God's not child. And then, um, so the whole way of approaching God, including the idea of a powerful God, perhaps the only uh, point in referring to the powerful God is to remind ourselves that we are not, as individuals, any of us, all powerful. And that, I don't think we need reminding you that, do we? <laughs> <laughs> Can I quickly respond? I have a quick response. Yeah. To that. Okay. Yes. I mean, yeah. there is this apophatic tradition, isn't there, where you don't say anything about God, you just say what he's not. Um, which has the, If you never say anything about God, you can never be contradicted, of course, which is very, which is very convenient. What is it trying to describe God in these type of personal... Yes, so you... I mean, the, the thing is, if, if you're allowed to say what God is not, well, then we can say he's not all good and he's not worthy of our worship. Voila. <laughs> no, hold, hold on. <laughs> Um, did you want to come in? No. Okay, you said. Um, at some point, I'm not sure when and who said it, because Baron or Stephen, he said there's got to be an end to explanation. It's Stephen. But I agree with him. Right. Can you just expand on that? I don't understand what the implications of that are. I forgot what they were. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, well, it was, it was Plantinga or Plantinga, or however you, you pronounce his name. Um, that's, that was the context in which that came up. I mean, every uh, uh, when you explain something, you, you presuppose certain other things. That in which, you, in terms of which you provide the explanation. If I explain why the water froze in the pipes last night, I might appeal to a law of nature, which is that if the water temperature <coughs> drops below zero, it freezes. That law explains this event. But now I can ask, and what explains the law? Why is there a law of nature? And it may be that you can explain that law by reference to certain more basic laws of physics. But there will come a point at which you will hit a law 
where you, there is no further underlying explanation, presumably. There will be certain bedrock, ground floor laws. Um, but you, don't you then flip from causality to attention? Well, no. Well, so there will be no scientific explanation. At this I point, of course, people will reel in God. God, God. God explains why there are laws of nature. You see, you, you, you can still provide an explanation, only it's no longer a scientific one. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, as I said in response to Mike's question earlier, um, I can't explain how God produced us, but I believe he did. And you, I, Stephen, can't explain how a law of nature, why a law of nature should be as it is. At some point, explanations come to an end. Um, mm. And that's true on both sides. There, there's, again, a complete symmetry. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I'm going to take this, and that's, this is the last question, you, madam. Yeah. Isn't that exactly what Dawkins is arguing that, against when he talks about the refuting Aquinas' argument of the infinite regress or something, that I've understood? Oh, he says something yeah. about why shouldn't there be an infinite regress? Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He yeah. says that that was Aquinas' You don't need a, a first cause. You know, you've got to mm. stop, there's God. And he says this is a false argument. Hmm. And um, he talks about something called infinite regress. The, and therefore, it is a false argument. I mean, that's the bit that I... This seems to be exactly what you're saying. Well, that is, that, that's more that there is no explanation because uh, it keeps going back. But, but yes, I mean, I, I, I have some sympathy with that. Why do we believe so strongly that there must be a stop to the infinite regress? Um, because God is, provides that stop to the infinite regress. Yeah, but that's not the On the other side, <clears throat> the brute fact provides the stop to the infinite regress. Um, yeah. Again, on both sides, there's a stop to it. I mean, the, re the point about the regress is it's a criticism of a certain kind of argument for a certain kind of thing. If you posit God or a super turtle or whatever it is in order to account for something, but the, you, the, the same question crops up at the level of your god or your super turtle or whatever it is, then you never had any justification for introducing it in the first place. You know, the regress problem un, uh, undermines the justification that you thought you had for introducing this thing. Mm -hmm. So we're not saying that there can't be regresses. We're saying that if your explanation actually generates a regress, it's not an explanation. So oh, that's good explanation. That's what you've just done, haven't you? Yeah. Hume says there's cause all the way down. We're never going to find the causal relationship itself. So you might say that he's generated an infinite regress and therefore there isn't an explanation. Bill thinks that my appeal to intention is not an explanation because it goes all the way down, to which I respond, yes. But my objection Ed, to that is, is, is that I can't make any sense of the idea of an intention well, being outside of time. Oh, okay. I just yeah. can't make any sense of it. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to, at uh, that indecisive moment, I'm going to <laughs> call this discussion to a close, okay. and I'd like to thank, as I'm sure you would, uh, both speakers for handling a fantastic array of questions so, so comprehensively. And thank you both very much. Thank you.